Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here. Welcome to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is Debbie Weiss, the author of Available As Is, A Midlife Widow's Search for Love. Like me, Debbie is a former attorney, and unlike me, she earned her Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction from St. Mary's College of California in 2020. She's a native of the Bay Area who turned to writing after George, her husband and partner of more than three decades, died from cancer in April of 2013, and she found herself single and living alone for the first time in her life. Debbie's essays have been published in the New York Times Modern Love section, Huffington Post, Woman's Day, Reader's Digest, and other places, and available as is, is her first book. So, uh, Debbie, thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. So I want to start, which you know, because the moment I finished reading as is, available as is, I texted you because I loved it so much that I just felt compelled to reach out to you at that moment. So I, I just loved this book. And it was one of those books, I'm sure you read a lot since you're a writer, so you must also be a reader. You know, sometimes you finish a book and you can't immediately start another book. Like you need to process it and digest it. And that's how I felt about your book. It took me like a good, I don't know, five days before I was willing to pick up something else and go into someone else's life. So that's a testament to how beautiful and interesting and personal and real and surprisingly funny this book was. I love it. Have I gushed on long enough? (laughs) Well, you could go longer, but thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I, wow. Thank you so much. That, wow. I'm, I'm touched. Um, and your book is so unbelievably real that I feel like you and I are really good friends, and I know a lot about you. But for those who don't, can you share a little bit of your history and the, your relationship with George, your marriage, Uh, Just sort of go back to the beginning because it does put things in a lot of context. Sure. Um, Well, I grew up in a small suburban town in Northern California, and um, I'm a pretty cautious person. My mom died when I was 10, so I didn't veer too far from home because I know people you love can vanish when you're not looking. So Mm -hmm. I married my high school sweetheart, um, George. I'd known him since I was seven. Our parents were together, Um, went to law school. He, he, was in, he went to, he graduated from Berkeley and was an engineer. And we were together for 32 years. He was my one and only until uh, he was diagnosed with cancer in 2009. Then we had a few good years together. We're pretty isolated lives. We're both introverts. He liked to be with his computer. I'm, as you said, a big reader. But uh, then he was after, after you know, t- about the mid-2012, uh, the cancer started to win, and he passed in April of 2013. So what, I don't even know where to start, right? But your, your book, as you share it, is such a journey 
and you tell a little bit of your process through these kind of crazy romantic relationships that you embarked on after George died. Kind of what yeah. possessed you to sort of tell the story of your journey through grief through that lens? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I think in part because that was around when I started to really get into writing. So that's, that's when I became aware of things. But also because what I was kind of focused on was when you've had love and, you're, you know, you've been in this relationship, but you're at midlife. I was 50 uh, when I started dating again, 14 months after George died. I was like, how do you find that again? You know, when I was kind of looking at what did I want to talk about in my book, it was the idea of, okay, you've been in this relationship for most of your life, as I think a lot of women have been of our generation, whether through, you know, and then you're alone, either widowed or divorced, but you, but you think you want love again, you know, but it's a diff different time in your life. You've, you've had this one sort of life already. You're already this one person. You're already this half a couple, right? I mean, lots of we's, we eat this, we go here. Well, what do you do when you have to start all that over again at midlife? So uh, I get that that's what you set out to write, but I can't be the first person to sort of observe that the book is not just about that, right? It's almost like that was the vehicle. And again, Debbie, like just, just, this is just my interpretation. So you can tell me like no, I'm right. totally wrong because it's your book. But, you know, no, I, you're right. that, that's like the vehicle by which you began to discover yourself. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I was sort of discovering myself before the dating, but I think part of it is I really wanted a book, even though it was about loss, I wanted it to be funny. And it's funny. For me, <laughs> thank you. Part of grief for me was how surreal it felt to go from being mm. this half a couple so settled. And the most surreal aspect of all of that was the dating. And it was also the craziest and the funniest and the strangest. Um, I didn't want to be, you know, just sitting in a room grieving. That that makes for a poor book. As my MFA, one of my MFA professors said, if you need to, if you're writing, have people and put them in a room together. Don't have too many scenes of the author, you know, of, of your narrator looking out the window and pondering. It makes for, 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 it's hard to make that good writing, at least for me. So I, I really wanted to capture the surrealism. And I kind of also, I joke, but I sort of wanted to warn other midlife women about the poor quality of so many middle-aged men out there. <laughs> you know, this is kind of a shock. You know, I, I went through, a, you know, when, when I was widowed, not, you know, it was surprising to feel that lonely, but, you know, it was fairly manageable. But what was really shocking for me was, was dating. And it was like, this is dating in the modern world? What is this mess? So interesting. And uh, it, it was a fun kind of romp a little bit through the different it, sort of Debbie's adventures of dating. Um, yes. But what's so interesting, honestly, is I feel like you managed to share that romp and still managed to convey the widow sitting bereft in her home staring out the window. And that's the magic of this book is that you managed to do both of those things at the same time without it at all feeling you know like it was i don't know 200 pages of, of debbie sitting in a dark room 
It was a big structure, you know, it was a lot of structures for, for writers if they're interested. Um, what I did was I had a lot of vignettes and pieces uh, from writing classes I took, you know, fairly soon after George passed and fairly soon after I was dating. They didn't have a lot of depth. Again, we're former lawyers. I couldn't write with depth back then. I didn't know how to do it. But I had all these pieces and I, I put them together because I wanted it to be funny. I didn't want it to be the focus to be cancer and caregiving. So I had all the vignettes and then basically I cut them all into pieces and spent a few days with them all over the living room floor. And then I put them together with tape and staples. Oh, that's so, I would love to see that. You don't have a picture of that. This is, like, this is writing and marketing goals, right? You should have had pictures of you with it all over the room. I can picture it. <laughs> So, yeah. Do your your book really is an honest trip through that period in your life? Um, and one of the themes that comes through the book for me is as you started to move through this. So for people who haven't yet read the book, and I hope everybody will read it, um, fair to say, Debbie, that you and George lived quite a bit in your own bubble and while he was alive you hadn't really created that foundation of friendships and relationships and girlfriends that, to really help support you through your grief is that fair to say yes that is definitely fair yeah um, so one of the things that you that you did ultimately was find a way to start building relationships with women to support you like that. Can you talk a little bit about that, your yoga girls and uh, kind of how that all felt? Sure. Um, you know, sh shortly after George died, I, I realized that as I spent days on end at home, if I didn't find something to get out of the house and a way to meet people, my life was going to be very lonely. Um, you know, it wasn't like college where you go to these classes and you're always surrounded by people in your dorm or the dining hall and everyone's super friendly and you're all kids. You know, it's harder to make, much harder to make friends as an adult, um, especially because I don't have kids, so I didn't have those connections. So I started to join some different groups um, that were in my little suburban area, and some of them didn't really make sense for me, but I joined a car club and I joined Rotary and also a yoga studio and ultimately hiking uh, and walking through, through meetup.com. And also mostly important writing where I made probably some of my best friends. And you know, in each of those groups, you know, there might be one or two people to have coffee with or to talk to, usually women. I, I really was focused on women friends. Um, and you know, like in my yoga studio, there was an existing group of girlfriends, uh, midlife women, some married, some divorced, one widowed. And they did activities together and they met for drinks once a week after class and they included me. And that was lovely. And, you know, my writing group had a, my writing classes had a group for people who were more serious writers. And, and one of the gentlemen in that group, wonderful friend, we're, we're walking buddies today, invited me to join the writing group that met, you know, seven, five to seven people on Friday mornings. So from those groups, I started to get a few more connections and from there, you know, a few friends, which helped tremendously. Was it difficult? Because I would love, I would, I would love for people who hear that and they think it's easy to walk into these new groups for the first time. Um, you know, you you actually, as you described it right now, it sounded fairly easy. You know, I just joined some groups, joined some clubs. Some of them weren't exact fit, but I made lots and lots of friends. Um, 
it's much harder than that. Oh yeah, it is. I'm I'm naturally well. Before all this, I was naturally shy. Not not so much anymore, probably. But and, and you know, self conscious, and you feel. I mean, it's just like high school going into a new class, feeling like the new kid. You know, if it's a rotary meeting or whatever, will people like me? Will I sound stupid? Will I click with anyone? And it was just kind of a matter of saying, almost taking it a little bit like work, and saying, I'm you know, I'm committing to myself to go to this group. If I hate it, I will find an excuse to leave. I will do something. Or if it's a yoga class or, or you know, it's one hour, it's okay. Um, you know, so whatever class I can drop out of. It was just really a matter of committing and, you know, putting myself together, which as a new widow wasn't always that easy getting out of the house. I'd always find reasons not to want to go. And then just committing to it and saying this is this is what I'm going to do and I'll do the best I can I don't have to do it again but it, it was very intentional you know that element of I don't have to do it again I think is a big piece of it and I remember so we we share a common history as attorneys and when I was a young lawyer I remember when I would go to court so dating myself, right? It was long before Uber. So I would take the subway mm-hmm. from Midtown, New York, down to the subway, uh, down to the courthouse. And I would always put a token in my pocket. And I would tell myself, as I don't think I've ever told anybody this, as I walked into mm. the courthouse, because you know, you just never know what you're going to get when you walk into court. Oh, you're right. And you're right. <laughs> so I would put a token in my pocket and I would tell myself, whatever happens at the end of the day, I'm going to get on the subway and go home. Right. So there's a little bit of that, I think, in your story, like, I'm going to try this. And at the end of the day, I'll go home and I don't ever have to come back if it's awful. That's right. That was pretty much it. Yeah, it's funny, because I remember that from court, too. I remember my the partner I worked with was so kind. He said to me at the beginning, you know, he said, whatever happens, you'll get called. You're done in about 20 minutes. It's over. You know, if it's 10 (laughs) o'clock by now, by 11 o'clock, you're finished. Don't, you know, um, I, I was nervous at court when I was younger. It was funny. But, yeah, very much this sense of, well, you only have to do it once. Kind of like when, you know, your parents made you try food. You only have to taste it. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat all of it, right? <laughs> it's a good it's a good lesson. But I do think we just need to keep reminding people, and women in particular, that everybody feels uncomfortable when they're walking into a new situation. And there's so much... Uh, so much you can draw out of that, which is uh, just a huge theme for me that came through in your book is how you sort of started by kind of dipping your toe in, trying different things, looking at different groups and organizations until you start to find the people who become kind of your people. Very much so. That's true. Exactly it. You know, part and part of it at first was also just, you know, something and still was towards the end was things to get out on the weekends, you know. I mean, and also things that were kind of foolproof because, you know, as a widow, you live alone days on end, maybe aside from, a, you know, a few group things. If you make an appointment with a friend and it, unfortunately your friend's the kind of person who cancels last minute a bunch of times, that's painful. Um, but, you know, if it's a nice group, a hiking group, a few people don't show up, but most most people do. And you go and you go for a walk and you have a great Saturday and you come home tired. And it's, you know, and it's a nice social day. Um, so it was very much that that was foolproof, you know, the car club, I'm not really a car person, but it met for Saturday breakfast 
And I was out of the house and dressed, and then there was usually some activity afterwards that I could join in, car-related, so I was kind of faking it there. But they were really nice people. (laughs) So, you know, Saturday morning when people were having brunch as couples, I had a place to go and people to be with and tasty pancakes, and, you know, I could talk a bit about cars. Um, So it was, you know, it was something to do, and from there it was a start. So then I thought, well, people are really pretty nice. You know, they're pretty inclusive, and, you know, you go from there. So that raises a question, and I don't know if you have any advice or insight on this, but as I'm trying to think of who this was, some, uh, one of my friends, one of, uh, one of my friends told me that she has a friend, nobody I know, but she has a friend who just lost her husband. Um, and it occurs to me as much of the 99 Walks community is, say, of a certain age, as am I. This is something that's going to become more uh, more common. So my question is, do you have any advice for those of us who have friends who have recently been widowed? I do I have advice. Bring it. <laughs> mm. Um, I think what's very hard is, particularly as a society, we don't like talking about death and sadness. So one of the oddest things as a widow were people I barely knew who'd be like, oh, but you're out, you're dressed, you're doing better, you're over it. You know, I looked pretty young at the time. Uh, when are you dating again? And then there were some old, old friends of George's who sort of vanished because I think they were uncomfortable talking about it because they were probably in pain too, you know. And, you know, I think there's been, people are afraid that people are going to cry on them, I think. But, you know, the most important thing if you, you have a widowed friend is to reach out I and mean, don't ignore them. You know, because people do that. They're uncomfortable. But I think it's so much better to just say, you know, I'm sorry about your loss and share a story about something you loved about the person who passed. Not something negative, please. I had a girlfriend who said, well, former girlfriend who said, well, I'm sorry he passed, but you're still young and healthy and he was holding you back. Don't do that. I still remember (laughs) that. But, you know, share something positive, a good memory, a time, something. And then offer to get together for something modest, a walk. Honestly, walks are great because it's not complicated. Please don't offer anything complicated. I had another friend who who offered things like, well, we're going to this big extravaganza in the city. Um, You know, if you see us there, great. And it was like, I can't navigate getting to the city. And if I don't see you there, I'm all alone in a crowd after, you know, an hour and a half commute. No, you know, just offer something simple. It's really not, you know, an email, a phone call, a text, a phone call. I'm sorry for your loss. What, you know, um, share some good memories and, and offer to chat, offer to get together for coffee, a walk, a simple lunch. And if it's in the best, best, best thing is something recurring. You know, every other week you meet. So this person has something to look forward to and, and someone to be with that they know will happen. And that, that brings to mind something that I've either heard or read, and I don't have any idea if this was your experience because you didn't really talk about this aspect of, of your, your loss in the book. Um, but my sense is like immediately after you lose someone, there's a lot of attention and outpouring, but it would seem to me like it's a couple of months later when things mm-hmm. can really, I, and I, 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 and I suppose it's partly because people don't know necessarily how to interact with you now as, as a half of a couple. 
right? Like if you're having dinner with the five couples who traditionally get together, do you invite the person? Do you not? You know, it's sort of that stage of it. And I understand that because a lot of people have said that, you know, widowhood is the se- the second year of widowhood is the harder year. The first year, you're kind of numb. Um, I didn't have a lot of people reaching out because, again, I was so isolated. But most people have talked about, you know, their friends do reach out often that first year. People are trying to help. They're changing their schedule or, you know, to be with you a bit, um, offering things. And then by the second year, all that dries up. And I've had several widowed friends and divorced friends who said they feel really bummed that they kind of lose all their friends because all the social activities that they used to be included to as a couple, they're not included to anymore. There's a book called Demoted to Lunch, which I believe tapped on that <laughs> subject. <laughs> Aptly named for sure. And I, I, I just trying to cut some people some slack, right? I don't know how much of that is uh, people are just uncomfortable and they don't know what to say. You hear that so often from people. I don't know what to say. I heard that a lot. Yeah. What should, what should they say? <laughs> okay, well, please don't say, this is what I always heard is, oh my God, I could never do this. I could never survive this. This is my worst nightmare. The answer is yes, you'd survive it. You just wouldn't like it very much. I mean, it's it's just a matter of normal conversation your your widowed friends are the same person they always have been you could still talk about things um you know mainly you know again some positive stories about the person they lost but if this is your friend people will tell you you know we're going out to dinner like we always used to this you know us three couples would you want to come with this interest right. you? would you want to bring a girlfriend maybe you have a girlfriend another you know who who would want to come with you for this and if that's not something they want to do they'll tell you um, right. You know, personally, I didn't have any problem with that. You know, they think it's painful that like you see another couple, but you know, with widowed folk, we know our person is dead. We are fully aware of this. And if, you know, if it's something we want to just, I think it's better to ask than to assume that they don't want to be included. I think it's more important to reach out and ask and say, we well, all used to do this. Was this something you'd want to do? Um, Debbie, I have to ask you about a recent Instagram post of yours that involved, I believe it was a hot fudge sundae. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I do. Um, so you talk a little bit about uh, setting intentions and resolutions for the year, and uh, it's still fairly early in the year, but this is kind of appropriate. I think anytime we all launch into this, like, we're going to be better, we're going to eat better, we're going to take better care of our health, we're going to eat less sugar, all the things. Uh, and can you share a little bit about what inspired you to post uh, a picture of yourself with a beautiful and delicious looking hot fudge sundae? <laughs> I'm looking at that right now going, oh, yeah, I posted that. Okay. Um, you know, part of it is I think that a lot of us midlife women, we're so hard on ourselves. You know, our bodies are going to change naturally. Our metabolisms are going to change. and Sometimes I think we treat ourselves really punitively, like, oh, I used to be better looking. I, you know, this used to fit. Um, so we banish the things we enjoy, and I don't really think that's a way to live. When I was younger and dating and a little lost in my early years of widowhood, I was, I was working out probably too much. I exercised too much and ate a pretty stringent and miserable diet. And I, I never want to go back to that. It was kind of self-loathing. <laughs> And it made for a pretty dreary life. 
So I, I just kind of want to emphasize more coming from healthy changes as a place from love. You know, I still walk. I'm just going to, if my partner wants to order an ice cream cone, I did share that enormous Sunday. That doesn't make a huge difference, but I did have <laughs> someone there eating it with me. Um, you know, that I think that's something we, we should allow ourselves, that it's more important to be happy than to be perfect. One of the things that you talk about in that post is this idea that time is finite. And I think being widowed in the way that you were and at the age that you were is a just a huge lesson and time is finite. And I'm curious how that, now that you've got the space of some distance from the loss, how you have carried that message with you. Well, that's a, a really good point because it was something I was very cognizant of, obviously, when George passed and then I was not liking my life very much and I was thinking, yep, but this is the only life you got. You know, if you're going to be miserable, you're going to wake up and say, gee, you know, I, I wish I turned off the television and went and, and tried to meet and meet people instead of just, you know, talking to Siri or something. Um, and it just informed kind of everything. You know, when I was dating, so many men were griping about their past marriages and the hassles of divorce and how miserable they were in all their failed relationships. And I was so put off because it was like, I lost my husband and I got through this and I'm still alive and I can still feel some joy, which is what I want. And these folks, these, a lot of these men were so joyless. They seemed mm. to take so little pleasure in being with other people. Um, maybe, maybe golf worked for them, but dating clearly was, <laughs> was traumatic and they were so miserable. And it was like, but this is what this is. Meeting a new person should be a gift. And that did kind of inform things I tried that for me, and again, I'm very cautious, were a bit of a challenge. And to try to say, well, just try this because, you know, you might like it and you don't have forever. Don't look back and wish you tried this. So have you continued kind of on that path? Are you still trying new things? What are you trying these days? Not surprisingly, podcasts and things to support my book. Um, <laughs> I hadn't really... I really hadn't planned, you know, um, this past year my book was published last September, so that's come with a whole new kind of things to try in terms of uh, submitting pieces mm. to magazines, um, applying, reaching out to podcasts and, and publications, especially for win midlife women. You know, I've done probably over 30 podcasts coming up on, becoming up on 40. Um, reaching out and just speaking, any opportunities, book clubs, book readings. I did one at my synagogue the other week. I was really frightened being on a stage there um, talking. I've never, mostly I just done a few quiet things in bookstores. Um, not so much travel, but I, I did spend a few weeks in Maui with my partner when it was pouring torrentially here, and I was very nervous about leaving the house, but it's okay. Um, so not on a huge, huge scale right now, but definitely if I think something's a little intimidating, I think go forward. But I'm also giving myself permission these days to be cozy. I moved a year and a half mm. ago, and I'm just kind of enjoying my new house and my new town. Um, and I moved in with my partner. So I, I guess you could say those were pretty big risks. <laughs> I I would say. I would say. And are you a bucket list kind of person? Do you have a list of these are the big adventures I want to tackle in my life? No, I don't think that way. Um, I've done some traveling and I've loved it and I will probably travel more in the future, but I'm not a huge, uh, so far, I'll say so far, I'm not a huge adventurer in that way. 
I don't have a huge bucket list that way. I tend to go more intuitively, sort of what's coming up, you know. Like when I got really into writing, my big leap was um, to, to get the MFA when I was 56 when I graduated, and that was a two-year program. When I had the opportunity to teach writing, which for me was really exciting. I know most people love to travel. For me, it's like, please let me teach more writing classes. That was a big challenge. I did that for in, in the city with, with an organization called Writing Pad, and I had like eight urban smart professional people looking to me to teach them how to write an essay to be published. That was hard. So I, I tend to kind of go with what comes up and what feels right. I do think kind of intuitively. Well, thank you for being here. We're coming to the end of our time. Debbie, if people want to find you out there in the interwebs and they want to see the giant hot fudge sundae, which I can't sort of take my eyes off of, uh, where will they find you? Where's the best place to connect with you? The best place to connect with me is probably my website, which is called Debbie Weiss Author. It used to be the hungover widow, if you see that in places, but I've improved from hungover to author. And um, so my website, Debbie Weiss Author, I have an author page on Facebook, also Debbie Weiss Author. You can find me on Instagram, also Debbie Weiss Author. Please don't go to the old hungover widow account. I locked myself out of it and had to start over. I'm a technical idiot, but you can find me in those places. I'm on LinkedIn as Debbie Weiss. And so I'm, I'm pretty much around. If you Google Debbie Weiss writer, I'm probably unavoidable. <laughs> and the book, if I haven't talked about it enough, is available as is A Midlife Widow's Search for Love by Debbie Weiss. So Debbie, thank you again for being here and for putting this book out in the world. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Joyce. I appreciate the kind words about the book very much. Have a great, beautiful day. You too. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.